This episode of Everything Hurts is brought to you by Site.ai, a service that's helping researchers better discover and evaluate scientific articles through smart citations, which display the context of the citation and describe whether the article provides supporting or contrasting evidence. Everything Hurts listeners get 30% off for a year by using the promo code EVERYTHINGHURTS. Check out the show notes for details. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana. I'm from the University of Oslo. I'm here with James Ethers from Cypher Skin. James, I want to ask you a question. Oh, no. Already with the questions. Go on. Would you start your own university? No, we're not going to talk about that. Would I start my own university? <laughs> what, as, a, as, an actual, as an actual university? As an actual university. Uh, how about no far, No thanks, I'd rather French kiss a skunk's asshole. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're not going to talk about that. I do want to ask you a real question. No, we can we can talk we could talk about that. I think the the the, the problem like all this fuss. I've seen some people try and give all that business a fair shake. I don't know a great deal about it. All of these 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 people who are tremendously current. Everyone has such strong opinions. I can rarely get through the opinions and find out what the, the original bastard kind of thinks. Um, I mean, people who are so online have absolutely no idea how veiled their opinions are. Sometimes of of, uh, of of people who aren't paying as close attention, so like they're all part of some great big stream, and they go flying past me some days, um, and just sort of waving, you know, as they zip past on a speedboat, and I'm supposed to know where they're going. Fuck off! Uh, I just I I can't. I literally can't keep up. I have too much shit to do. Not only do you have too much shit to do, you've got fucking kids. Yeah. I have no idea how people manage to stay this in touch with all the shit that they're supposed to be upset about. Um, maybe if I took being a public figure seriously or something, I'd change my opinion on that. But in the meantime, it's all piss. Um, I think the, the, all the fuss is simply over the, 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 the misnomer of kind of starting a university in the first place. Whatever these cats are doing doesn't really appear to be a university. They appear to be working their way towards making it a university in about a decade. Yeah. There's so much in the big bucket of actually starting. You're starting a higher educational institution. Jesus Christ! Can you imagine the like the regulatory barrier? What you have to do over time to be able to do this? They could have just called it a fucking social club, and everyone would be less upset. I will. I will point out the inherent irony, though, of like universities are all broken, so we started one. Why wouldn't you call it something else? Yeah. Because you want the traditional moral authority of being able to use the word as a like a place of higher education, something, something, something. You you couldn't call it uh, centerite McFuck's uh, bloody social club for special kids, because everyone would go, ah, oh, yeah, who gives a shit? So I don't have any very strong opinions about it, Daniel. As much as the the sort of I mean, I hope they know. I know they're all very fancy people, but I hope they know what the fuck they're getting themselves into. Would you start a university? No. Can you, I- ima- can you imagine anything worse? I, I have I have no idea how to approach the sort of like the, the depth and breadth of that regulatory environment. And then you've got to make money? Well, apparently it's supported by some the lunatics or something like that. But I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be such such a, I mean, I, I, the, well, I think one of the problems with me thinking about this now is I think of it in terms of like a pathway to revenue, like because you know I'm trying to build an organization here. Yeah. So it's a matter of like, would you do it? Like, is it is it your north star? Is it your moral calling? Is it go fuck yourself? Is it a revenue sustaining organization? The answer is, well, <laughs> I I hope you can figure that out <laughs> if you want it to live, chaps, because um, uh, that's 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 going to leave a mark. It, yeah, it's incredibly high because I, I was thinking about like what universities have do I know of that have just started from scratch recently, 
and I couldn't think of any. Well, it, it does happen. It does happen in the US. Um, it doesn't have a very good reputation here um, because there are a lot of people who've started very shitty universities. Um, <laughs> the uh, the f- former president, notwithstanding. <laughs> but you do. Look, you, you can transfer your credits across from uh, good old Trump University to the to the new uh, one. I think they used to call it Trump U. Yeah. Oh, the old the old Trump U. I'm a Trump U alumnus. I tell you what, I've never seen a fucking bumper sticker of I attended Trump University. If someone wants to make one and then misspell a couple of the words, I think you'd sell a bucket of them. Because um, I think <laughs> universities just don't come up from scratch. Because I, I was thinking about this, and most universities, oh, so not most universities locally that have become universities were originally community colleges or the equivalent yeah. of community colleges, and then and then they went, okay, we can get the accreditation to do this. And all of a sudden, they've said they're a new university, but they're still going on the back of like thirty years of infrastructure, of faculty. Yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's it's wild. And yeah, Mate, north northeastern where I used to work was considered to be a um was considered to be like an upstart recent university. You know, a real Johnny come lately kind of place <laughs> in a town in the in 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 Boston where like everything's older than fucking dirt. You know when it got started, like eighteen ninety five or something. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah, it used to be like a, a it used to be like a YMCA training thing, you know, back yeah. when the YMCA mattered, and it wasn't just a, a place where you went to a bad gym. Um, uh, I think it was it was some kind of you know that there'd be vocational training in the basement. You want to become a plumber or something like that. It was a bit like a TAFE in Australia yeah. or a um, a vocational college in the in in the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, it was that, and then eventually it was something else, and then eventually it was something else, and then they decided they wanted to be an R1. I still don't know what that is. I thought it was a motorbike. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, 125 years. off oh, recent. I mean, yeah, I, you've got all the, 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 the whatever, but I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think in general anything that's been – if you're trying to organize reflexive contrarianism, I think you're going to end up in a place where, you know, especially when you go, ah, there's, there's no boundaries here. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no sides to the discourse eventually. Um, I want to see what everyone thinks when the first fucking side turns up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's done very poorly as a, as a kind of mental category in the US in the last decade or so, I feel. Hmm. This place is completely free. Oops, someone did a crime. Oh, we've got to regulate it. Fuck. Anyway, you're right. It's not, it's not, it's not as interesting as all the, the, the fuss leads on as far as I can tell. The other thing is it seems to be full of faculty who aren't leaving any other universities. So I don't know how you- How's that work? Like, yeah. What is it? Your, your bonus university? Is it your side chick university? Like, what is? I'm, I'm learning American argot. There you go. Um, yeah, I know what a side chick is now, rather than a, a chicken in a motor, motorcycle sidecar. Well, there is a lot of people that do have that, um, where they have that their main institution and then their secondary one. But the secondary institution tends to have their own faculty. But this seems to be just <laughs> just just consisting of people who are using this as their as side institution. But hey, time time, time will time yeah. will tell. Maybe look. This is uh, it's this is uh, it, it. Certainly, to me, but it it feels like it could contain the possibility to surprise people. Uh, it also feels like it could be a colossal white elephant, and everyone will just quietly forget about it in a couple of years. So you know, give them give them time. Assume that even if you don't like the people involved, essentially they should have a very good idea of what they're getting themselves into. But yeah. it's also impossible to know on what basis people are involved. Yeah, because if you come in and you're like, imagine imagine all the paperwork. Imagine all the sort of background shit. Imagine all the the, the the stuff that needs to happen, right? 
I don't see any people who are, you know, the fa- fancy faculty with personal staff and shit like that. They're, they're not coming in to fill out the fucking paperwork. Yeah. So who's who's actually uh, who's actually keeping the lights on? It's yeah, it's going to be a slog no matter how they do it. Anyway, fuck them. Done with it. We are going to be doing a four questions episode. Uh, four, no, four topics rather. Four topics. Mm. Ten minutes each. I'm going to put the timer on, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna rip through these things. So I'm going to get the timer ready with yep. some stupidly annoying alarm yeah and something really obnoxious please yeah get caffeinated get caffeinated. we um we haven't discussed this either the topics no no these about. are these are these are these are secret mine i haven't shown dan and dan as per usual will just not show me his let's let's kick it off with your first topic james um time starts now boom okay i want to talk about the death of expertise uh, I, I want to talk about the, 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 the idea that somehow we may have collectively undermined the sort of moral authority of anyone to have a position that's regarded as superior to other positions on the basis of expertise and, I suppose, possibly grudgingly admitting that eminence may be involved. Um, it's There's so much institutional distrust everywhere and i mean this was crystallized for me this is a some months back now there was some wanker who who said like uh we've 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 replaced science with experts there's one of these people from the television you you know and the the media in the u.s looks looks like an overbred dog uh free suit makes a lot of money um says 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 things for money you know, no, 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 no different than the Miley Cyrus's, except substantially less interesting. Um, it's it's very concerning, Dan, that no one's allowed to know anything anymore. And before before I make a complete pig of myself here, I want to know what you think. Me and my social dominance would like to know what you think. I I, I, <laughs> I always yeah okay I want I want to return to that <laughs> to that, but um yeah maybe we'll get back to that later in the episode. Um, I always wonder this idea of the public intellectual just saying that I feel a bit icky. That term, <laughs> and I, 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 I can see your, I can see your response in your face there. But um, I think it's sort of important that we have that. But some, but a lot of people are just so scared to have that label that no one wants to step into that role um, because it's bloody hard. I we had a colleague who had um, received a bit of slack online. I don't I don't remember the exact context, um, but I remember he reached out to you, going like, "How do you actually deal with all these trolls?" Um, and the, you, the responses that you got, particularly from your recent um, Ivan Mectin article in the Atlantic, um, <laughs> some of your responses were, were were fantastic. But I think for the for the average person, because you were strange. Getting this sort of flack online is very uncomfortable, so a lot of people don't want to step into that role. Um, so I'm not sure you, I'm not sure you're the right person to talk about this because it doesn't seem to affect you. But I think for a lot of people, being in the spotlight means they just want to go. You know what? I, I just don't want to get involved with this kind of stuff. And in a sense, I don't blame them. Um, and and seeing all the seeing all the stuff that Elizabeth Bick, for example, comes up against all the all the you know the the, the Twitter accounts with with, uh, with with seven numbers at the back. Um, it's just nuts, and you just wonder how do people actually do it? 
Right. So your your point your point being, Dan, is that if you if you spend a lot of time uh, wanting to make considered opinions, the idea of communicating them in public is a completely different story, and comes these days with a certain amount of inherent baggage, which means that a lot of the time we don't get to talk to when we're talking about experts in the public consciousness. Yeah. We've made the public consciousness so incredibly fucking hostile and full of asswipes that it it like the the decision to participate in it is confined to people who are interested in the role yeah, rather than yeah. interested in maintaining the expertise themselves, which means that like everyone everyone who's in a situation like that is a media vehicle first and an actual expert second. I think there's a certain amount of truth to that, sir. Um, it is certainly, I mean, if you, you think about it, like we've replaced scientists with experts. Um, it's so marvellously boneheaded on its face but the 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 idea that there's the kind of derogatory expert um and that there's a bit like on one hand a like scientist in that context is designed to imply someone who actually knows how shit works yeah. an expert is someone who is in this kind of like personal media vehicle playing the role of expert who is just as much of a dissembling dishonest sneaky little fuckwad as uh, all the people who are complaining about it, hmm. um, it's. Uh, I wonder. Do you know what? I wonder. I wonder what old Fauci here. I wonder what he thinks of all of this. I wonder if he just has so much to do in any given day that he spends the vast majority of his time just ignoring. I don't think he gives a shit. These fucking because people. he doesn't have the time. He he must be so utterly disengaged from it, and that must make all the people who'd like to make his life difficult very sad. Because he's probably got one lonely intern somewhere who hoovers up the worst ones and then shuffles them through to the police. <laughs> to the police. <laughs> so, but this is maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. I mean, I had I had a tremendous amount of fun with um with with people trolling me recently, um simply because how many people paid you for your opinion, by the way. Uh, uh, people, people, people can. Uh, I've only had two people who like genuinely wanted an answer to a question who, who turned up and bought me a cup of coffee. And Amazing. I, I had a really good, yeah, I had a really good conversation with one of them. Um, what that mainly is is people who like me just turning up and giving me money. I keep telling them to fucking stop. You know, don't, don't do that. I mean, it hasn't happened for a while. When it was current, like yeah. some, some a couple of um, couple of months back, now I started doing that. Um, but it was mainly because, uh, it, look, if someone's coming to you in bad faith, uh, you you have no you could do, you could do anything you want. You could you could send them uh, you could uh, you could send them a picture of an adorable baby owl. You know, you can say nothing. You can block them. Uh, you can try and leave something sensible there in case someone else sees it. If you think they're acting in good faith, or you could you can do what I do, and you could just gob off at them and have a good time. <laughs> do you ever block people? Yeah, all the time. Okay. It's just, usually it's not look. I, I, it's not because I'm afraid. It's not because it's problematic. I mean, someone someone wrote to the the, for the fucking uh, people at work ages ago. It was like, oh, he's a terrible person. He's just thinking, oh, what does it mean about your organization? Like, For real? Know, everyone, oh, every, man. Yeah, and everyone, everyone sees that. They just laugh and then, you know, occasionally they forward me the email if it's funny because um, it doesn't matter, Dan. Um, but we re- maybe – look, maybe, maybe that's a big part of it. We've made digital space so disgusting and it's become so normal to have distrust that there is a kind of an amplification effect. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a very bad positive feedback spiral. 
where the shittiness of participating in the environment continually means that the only people who are capable of being in it are people who seek the role uh, and consider the shittiness in itself to be an asset. So we, 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 we're, getting, we're getting attention game people rather than knowledge game people who are, who are playing these roles. Certainly, I think that's been true of a lot of people through the plague, you yeah, know, yeah. alleged scientists, alleged experts, people. I mean, and early on, it was like, oh, Jesus, there was a whole greatest hits of, you know, people who's like, oh, I've just discovered coding under the couch. I'm going to make a model. Oh, either we're all dead or we're all going to live forever. Oh, fuck off. Just shut up. And it was, it was, it was very, it was very, very, some of them were very convincing, except the fact you knew they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. It's, it's nice to read things like that. Um, I was thinking the only, the only sensible response to this in some, uh, in some domains, I'd like to see the skin in the game heuristic come back. I was having a lovely conversation about this, uh, earlier today. Um, being an idle gentleman, I'd like to see the skin in the game heuristic come back. I'd like to see a documentary where all they do is interview pediatricians about how they vaccinated their own children. I'd like to see a I'd like to see a graph of all the Pfizer and Moderna employees who probably lined up around the block to get the shit that they were working on themselves. You know? Yeah. Cuz you yeah, know you I know like they that. fucking you know they fucking did, right? It's like regardless of what you think, Right, it went out into the thing. It went to the went out into the in the manufacturing uh into the manufacturing fucking world into the supply chain. Came immediately back to the office where it was designed. You know, you know this was made. And they and they got a staff physician and these people who know obviously they know they can't not everyone agrees even the looniest people agree that they know more about it than anyone else. Every single one of those motherfuckers lined up like jabbing their elbow in the doctor's face. Give me the fucking shot. I designed it. I'm part of the conspiracy. I'm I'm I'm, I'm evil as shit. Yes, stick my own evil back <laughs> in me. You could I mean that'd that'd be a great documentary. Just just people talking about what they did on the project and what it means to them, and just jabs going in arms one after the other of the people who designed the motherfucker. Yeah, finish finishing with the chief scientific officer and the CSO. Yeah, love it. I think um I think a lot of the problem with disinformation is that people just. It's this idea of just just tweet through it. If, if people give you grief, just keep on tweeting, and this idea people will forget about it. But I came across this this really interesting. Um, there's a Twitter bot, which is something like it's like at remind me later. And so when someone says something absolutely crazy, and like oh yeah, in in in, in two months time cases are going to completely disappear, or, or or some wild claim based on some mm. sort of time. Yeah, you, I like it. You tweet this bot, and then the bot will tweet back at you at the at the time that you said in two months. Going, check this thing actually happened, so you can actually remember all the whilst that the people have said. Uh, I, I, I like that because I think people kind of just think that people, other people, are going to forget about the stuff that was said. Yeah. There we go. Oh, good timing. Ten, good ten that, minutes. All right. That alarm is nowhere near obnoxious enough, Jim. G'day Hertz listeners, this episode of Everything Hertz is brought to you by Sight.ai and uh, I just want to tell a really quick story about how Sight has helped me very recently in my own research. Uh, recently, I was told by a reviewer that um, I should cite a particular line of work and although I'd heard of this uh, work before, I wasn't very familiar with this area of the literature. So, rather than spending hours and hours reading up on this area of the literature, I was able to plug in a few key papers into site and find out very, very quickly what the state 
of the research was. And my hunch was that um, this had, let's, let's just say, a few, <laughs> a few questionable results. And um, with Sight, I was able to actually discover that that hunch was right, that a lot of the papers within this, uh, within this area had a lot of contradicting results. Now, I could have found this out by reading through the literature myself, but by using Sight, I was able to very quickly get a good overview of the literature in this area. So, Sight is fantastic. I use it both for writing papers, but also reviewing papers. I can put a paper in and get a report on all the citations to see whether there was supporting, mentioning, or contradicting. You can try out Sight for yourself. Check out the show notes. There's a special deal for all Everything Hurts listeners. So, just follow the links there and check it out for yourself. Thank you to Sight for supporting Everything Hurts. Okay, next topic. Um, I was at a seminar recently. Did you start the timer again? Oh, no. Thanks for the reminder. I was at a, a, a seminar workshop thingy recently, and I probably saw the best presentation I've ever seen from someone. It was obviously a talk about science communication and... Um, it helps when you're doing a talk on science communication if you can actually communicate very well. This guy, this guy was fantastic, and um, he'd he'd sort of I, I think he was I think he's he's a professor in mathematics or something by trade. Is there a recording or a, a copy of this particular talk? No, no, but I'm sure he's he's, oh, he's fun. I know he, he's done a, he's, he's done a lot of similar talks. Anyway, he was talking about science communication. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, he's had a lot, a lot of experience on television, which, which you can see, and um, yeah, he he was just he was. He was talking about the best way to communicate science, and I thought it was fantastic. And then what really struck me was that I will always remember his presentation because it was fantastic and he was talking about story and all, all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't the conventional way that we do presentations. And I was thinking, I mean, I would love to do all my future presentations with the same sort of principles, like, you know, stuff like he Dude, dude, never had any any bullet points. Um, showed a few videos, showed a few figures, but it was it was very very sparse and it was very different from the typical presentation. And it made me think like I can do this thing and people will remember it, but it's not going to be an effective presentation. People aren't going to think that's a good presentation, even though it's better at actually presenting the message. Yeah, so- yeah sure, but I mean, you have to bear in mind at this point. I don't mean to interrupt you, but you have to bear in mind the the, the point here that the, the enormous drag factor that you're talking about your research is going to present. Compared to something that is topic du jour, yeah, right. Go on. Yeah, 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 exactly. So of course, there's going to be some differences there. But I was thinking, oh, I need to do this for my stuff. But then I thought, well, I can't, I can't really do that. It's not really going to convert, and people are going to say, well, you know, when's the real presentation going to start? Um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I was just thinking that this, 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 this was, this is just a fantastic way to actually present stuff. But it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That sort of tension between the two things. The problem with this, Dan, is that you haven't actually said what he did very well. You said that it was good, and you find it very <laughs> difficult to replicate it, but you haven't actually said what the nice man did. Can you be slightly more explicit, you turkey? He told a lot of stories to illustrate his points. Um, it was this sense of being incredibly rehearsed without looking like it was rehearsed as well. And he, he admitted afterwards, yeah, this is, I've, I've done a version of this talk maybe like, like 50 times. So, he was obviously very comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just this preparation, this, this flow, how one idea led to another. Um, you, you know how even like a good stand-up comedian, um, like I've, I've always thought there's a lot, like when, when I see stand-up that 
people who do stand up are incredible communicators. Like they're not people who are just funny and tell funny jokes, but the delivery and the way they actually put together the, their routine, that's there's, there's something to be said about that. And he was doing exactly the same thing. Like comedians will do like a callback where they'll, they'll say a certain thing and then like 10 minutes later, they'll sort of call back to the thing they said previously, which makes it even mm. funnier. He was doing exactly the same thing, but within his own talk. Um, so just the way that he presented his ideas, how clear it was, how he told and it, it, it was his message was through stories. It wasn't like, here is how you do science communication. It was, this this is my story. This This is how... Um, things change over time. Some some, some examples, yeah. It, it it was fantastic. Okay, so um, there's 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 a few things here. Um, I have seen obviously people who develop a talk and then take it on the conference circuit and then take it around, talk about it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and they had the same kind of polish. Yes. Um, people often blame TED for the kind of fatuous narrative based storytelling uh, style, um, <clears throat> which is a little bit unfair. The reason that TED Talks are bad is generally because um, the people are chosen because what they need to say is fatuous crap that appeals to middle-brow fuckwits with too much money. Um, that's not to say there's anything wrong with a narrative style. A very sort of ponderous, obvious narrative style. Picture a world where I didn't have any pants. That's just That's a stylistic choice that's separate to the narrative choice, right? The narrative choice here being an actual fucking narrative. Yay. So you're – I think there's almost certainly elements of that that you can do, yeah, especially when it comes to unmooring yourself with information and presenting for people. Um, I've always been quite comfortable with the idea of only a very scant amount of information, um, being written down that people need to follow and being able to look and engage with actual people, like the actual sort of stagecraft bit of it where you're contacting people themselves. But it requires um, practice and uh, like a, lot of, a lot of confidence, a lot of dumb shit. I mean, I've done so many different things on stage, music, uh, well, death metal, so not really music. Uh, it's a good cacophony, but I did well over well over a hundred gigs so in front of people for an hour. Yeah, I fuck a lot of different talks for different things, and then circus stuff as well, and then actual competitions where people are watching at you and cheering and things like that. I had a lot of experience with people looking at me, and then we've done like a hundred and twenty fucking whatever episodes of this. Mm, yeah, so. A lot of it is practice, and for specific talks, I mean, it's 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 you and your ability to get comfortable with it, and obviously touring the same thing fifty times helps. But here's 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 a third point that fits into this. A lot of people are so very very bad at talking that, um, well, so they're fine at talking. Misnomer, <laughs> misnomer. They don't come up like they they can articulate, but they have never put any. They've never like had enough experience to figure it out by themselves, and no one ever showed them. A lot of the time, people just go, "That was a good talk," and but me, but no, but no one showed you. You got through experience, though. You, yes, yes, I did. But also, you know, I was a I was a, a drama kid, and you know, a lot of it was was pushed about. And I spent many, 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 many years uh, watching stage stuff. Yeah, I feel sometimes when I say something, I go, oh, that meter, the way I just said that sentence, that was like whatever. 
Okay. You know, that was the Goon Show. That was Danny Kaye. That was George Carlin. That was, uh, um, you know, like like ratty old stand-up from the 90s before it was a, a thing that everyone got to do. Um, largely, uh, victim, largely, largely because it's so cheap to produce an hour of television when you do that. When once the content mines need to be filled, um, filming filming stand-up specials is a uh, is is a tremendously bang, bang good, buck. tremendously yeah. good deal for networks. Um, and a good deal for the fucking comedians too. Um, so it's just it it's it's a really really great way of getting an hour's worth of shit that people see as a one off. Um, so most most people are most people are really quite terrible at it. And I think most talks that I've seen have been bad. And every conference I've ever been to, I've fallen asleep at some point. Um, the first time I ever heard uh, Steve Porges talk, when I was more interested in psychobiology than anything else, including hygiene some days, I fell asleep because the room was too dark and warm. I didn't want to fall asleep. I was actively fighting it the entire time. But it just fucking yeah. it just knocked me off my perch. It always, always does. Yeah, man. Look, so there's 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 big there's big fucking gaps, and you you realize that there are there's a point that some people never get over. I've seen people in their sixties who are nervous as shit before they present things, and that is a <laughs> that is amazing to me because I forgot to be worried about it at some point in time in my twenties, and yeah. haven't really worried about it ever since. I mean, if it's super important, obviously you drill it, um, but. I think one of the easiest ways of doing that, I, I, anyone who's nervous about it, I, I, I guarantee they've never tried effectively mentally rehearsing what they're going to do. You don't have to say it out loud. You have to know how the pieces fit together. So at any point in time, you're on piece seven and you need to proceed to piece eight and the links make sense. And no one minds if you backtrack. No one minds if you are occasionally hesitant. No one minds if you forget the word. You just have to stay present in the narrative and not go, oh, Christ, 80 people are staring at me. Um, the, the, the final factor uh, is the fact that a lot of the time we're presenting to tough crowds. A lot of presentations exist because they, we feel like they should. Not because it's entertaining, not because it's more informative than other things, but because we've simply created a structure where it feels morally appropriate to say it in the right context. But so a, a lot of conferences are fucking crap. Yeah. Um, the ones that are really good in general are smaller ones where you actually meet the fucking people. But the whole idea of like, I'm going to go to talks, I'm going to learn so much. Um, ser seriously, I mean, I've done this. I've done this before. Like the, a lot of the time talks are yoked to papers. You can download the paper and read it in about 90 seconds and they go, well, that's that's boring. He sucks. She's interesting. I'll go to that. That's quarter past 11. What are we doing till then? Long breakfast? I think so. You know, in some places in, in e economics, it's very common for visiting researchers when they're doing their colloquium talk, they're literally reading the paper. Isn't that insane? That is fucked. No that wonder, is no wonder <laughs> economists argue so much. The, the, economics talks are famously hostile compared to other academic talks. Now- I don't know how well that generalization holds. It's simply something that I've heard over a period of years. Yeah. But maybe one of the reasons everyone's so angry is because I was reading a fucking paper. <laughs> just, and I, I heard one Imagine department. that story time with Black and Scholes. It's, 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 well, uh, one argument imagine, is that. Imagine a perfectly spherical economy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one of the reasons people say this is that it's this sort of tacit uh, acknowledgement that no one actually reads the paper before. Uh, a journal club so it's kind of guaranteeing that you hear the paper 
Um, but there, there was, I heard a story of, of one faculty that had the gall to actually turn it more into a Q&A and people were sort of rallying against it. So it seems like people actually like this. I don't know. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy that <laughs> people are just reading out papers. Okay. Um, next topic. I'm going to get the, um, the old timer going. All right. Go. Ready? Yep. See, we didn't take that out. Narrative. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, James. I've been, I've been, I've been thinking, I've been thinking recently about um, the role of this. This is this is a half-assed idea I have. I just okay. want to know what okay. you think think about my half-assed idea. I really wish that in a lot of research degrees, um, where you have a, uh, a a research track, and I know in some countries it's it's. Uh, almost mandatory to get a research master's and then to do a research PhD. Um, and in many other co- in many other countries, if you are in a PhD program, you can have a master's conferred if you've done some of the research. I really wish there was a mechanism where you could do a research degree, and if it wasn't for you, you could back off into a master's and add an additional six months of basically commercial uh, commercial education. So if you're doing a full PhD in engineering or something like that, and you're like, oh, Christ, I'm poor, I hate it, fuck this. I'm, I'm doing very, very arcane stuff, and I wanted to go out and be an engineer, and I'm ready now. If you could just roll the time up, finish at the end of a semester, uh, produce something that was thesis-like, over the over the uh, like ensuing six months, and then go into a program that taught you about how companies worked, how organizations were structured, how to look for jobs, helped you fit the research that you'd done so far into a into a commercial environment, and then maybe maybe even try and do a bit of placement at the end and introduce you to the speed that companies work at and the way that they problem solve and the tools that they use um, and f- and and basic shit about business. You know, what is what is a uh, what's what's a, a a cost per unit? You know, what's a what's a what's a, what a, what are unit economics? What's an EBITDA? I mean, it may as well be a fucking breakfast cereal, as far as most people are concerned, <laughs> coming out of a master's. Um, you know, what's what's a prof, what's a profit and loss? What's a, what's a burn sheet? Um, oh, what did, what did I do? Uh, uh, sorry, I tried to burp. And say, <laughs> yeah. your eyes almost popped out of your <laughs> I tried head. To, tried to say two things at the same time, and I was trying to get them both out be- 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 before my, my face did gas. So, uh, I think a lot of the, the reason reason being is one, I think universities suck at this in general, and I also don't think it would be difficult to do a much better job. There'd be challenges. I don't think it'd be difficult to do a much better job than they presently do. Um, the second thing is a lot of people discover during a research degree that they don't, they look at, they finally discover how shit works and then they want to have a different idea. And at that point in time where you know you're going to leave, you don't have to finish your fucking PhD. It's just like another 18 months of sitting around doing something hard. Um, but at the same time, no one's going to help you make any kind of, make any kind of transition, make, make it, make, make, make any kind of, uh, change because look, the vast majority of them, unless I've got a really specific task here, um, especially like someone who's done a two-year engineering master's, um, I don't put a lot of stock in degrees versus skills. But the one thing that I do know that a master's student's done is they've had a research project that they've had to boss through by themselves. 
And my experience so far is that in general, when it comes to being left alone with a task to be able to do a specific thing, they do much better at that than people who haven't. Because they've done a research project, they've been sure. left alone with something, and they go, you've got six months, fuck off into the distance and solve your own problems. So as a kind of an education in self-reliance, self-efficacy, I suppose. Anyway, that's my half-assed idea. Over to you. I have a feeling that this is done in, in different disciplines. They actually have more of a focus on this where they have this kind of internship where you will, uh, that, that is part of the program, where you do go into different companies and you're experiencing, you're experiencing this kind of stuff. But of course, this doesn't, have, this doesn't happen within psychology and neuroscience. I think, I think it'd be amazing, particularly to, to prepare people for-, well, for di- Psychology, neuroscience, biology, engineering- yeah. Yeah. Uh, fucking humanities. Jesus Christ. I mean, who could who could who could use it more? There's so many people. It's just Jesus. Uh, uh, the 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 ability to read something complicated and put ideas into order and know things about them. There's got the whole world where, like, even even if it's bullshit, there's plenty of people hiring researchers in organisations. They're super fucking valuable. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to like, certain non-profits and think tanks and big companies and shit. There's, there, there are opportunities. People need to tell you where they are. Um, I mean, every time a job title comes up, I'll tell you something I do. Every time a job title comes up and I've never heard of that job, like what the fuck is that? I go and figure out what that job is. Because it's been sufficiently important to be codified, even if it's managerial fucking wank speak bullshit, right? Even if it is that, someone's thought to codify it into something with a name that's in a place. The other day for me, it was post-creative strategist. What the fuck is a post-creative strategist? It's It's someone who literally goes into digital space, reads everything, treats everything. The response to marketing, branding, or advertising as a substrate and looks at the responses that people are leaving on something and tries to synthesize the qualitative aspects of how people are responding to you trying to sell some shit. That's a wanky name, but very interesting. Well, if you were a qualitative researcher, um, there's a reasonable likelihood that it's something you'd be incredibly good at. I mean, maybe maybe you wouldn't want to, but Jesus. Um, and I mean, it makes perfect sense that it should exist because a lot of a lot of marketing stuff is done in terms of like this this amount of leads, this amount of sales, this amount of stuff, this amount of conversions, you know. And it's all handled out of a big fucking platform thing. But if you have uh, a global brand or even one where people talk about it locally, who's actually taking all of that stuff. I mean, that's gold. Yeah. Look, fuck what people are saying about us. We are rebel. No, 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 no. The public's literally telling you what they think. So someone who develops a strategy on the basis of this is what we synthesize and has the foresight to be able to say, she's an idiot, he's a wanker, and both of them need to get in the sea. Yeah? So it's it, it's 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 interesting. Now, I didn't, no one ever told me that. I think I found that out by myself because I heard someone say it in a conversation. Right? Um, a lot of people would, I mean, a lot of people are hearing about that for the first time now, presumably. Yeah. Um, 
shit. I mean, maybe there's someone listening to this who thinks, oh, fuck, that actually exists. How will I do that? Well, I wish you'd been told. And I wish that if you were in a position where you're saying, I want to back off this research degree, push it down to a smaller research degree, blah, and then go into this world that I don't understand. Jesus, I've been, I've been in a fucking uh, job, career, postdoc, expo thing where someone someone walked up to like the info table and was like, I'm here to find out how to get an industry job. I probably told this story before. A woman behind the counter was like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, there's lots of people from industry here. What specifically are you looking for? And the guy said again, an industry job. What fucking industry? What fucking job? Doing yeah. what? What do yeah. you want? What are you? Yeah. What is available for you to do legally? What are you qualified for? <laughs> you know? And that's a lot of the time, that's what people know. It's not an academic job. Trust me, you can, like, in three months, you can learn most of it. And in a structured amount of time, in six months, you can probably not only learn most of it about how it works, but you can probably get, you can probably get fucking placed somewhere as well. And you're still within your actual degree. And then you can fucking graduate, take two weeks off to lie on the beach, and then actually go and have a fucking job. What I like about this idea is that when we're talking about coursework and we're thinking of introducing new stuff, of course, you have to consider what are we going to remove. But with this particular idea, if it's paring down a 20,000-word thesis to a 10,000-word thesis, which actually gives you the time to do, the time to do this alternative, then these two things can work. So yeah, but, but more, 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 more than that, you're saying, well, maybe I've done three years of a program or two years of a program, and I don't want to do the remaining two years, three, four, five. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to do something else. Like on aggregate compared to what you were going to do, it's people, plenty of people stay, stay in a PhD past a, a point where they think it's a good idea on the basis of just the sort of sunk cost and the fact that when you get to the end, everyone gives you a special little name. Yeah. And I, I, think, I think the special little name effect has a lot to answer for when it comes to everyone's collective misery and that more grad students – should drop out, but they should drop out with their fucking immediate future taken care of. End of that topic. Hmm. Perfect. Perfect. All right, we're going to start the next one. Here we go. 10 minutes started. One thing that I've been thinking about recently is this idea of the role in luck in academia. I saw someone pose the question, if your kid was to go to you and ask you whether they should pursue academia, uh, mm -hmm. assuming all that you know now, would you recommend them to do that? And I thought about this for my own kids, and the answer would probably be no, um, unless they were going into a very sort of STEM-heavy sort of like, um, I don't know, basically, unless they were going into an area where it was very, very easy to get an industry job, um, you know, engineering, um, certain types of statistics, that kind of stuff. Um, I... I would not recommend it because looking back at my own career, I've realized the only reason that I'm here is, I mean, of, of course, I've worked very hard, but it's just been an incredible amount of luck. And if things, it's kind of like the, the, the old, the old Galton board where you, you flip the thing over, the balls go down, um, the balls happen to, 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 to flow my way in terms of opportunities, in terms of jobs, in terms of all that stuff. And I'd worry that if I was to flip that Galton board again and start over, then things wouldn't turn out the way that they have for me and mm -hmm. I could probably yeah sure there are, there are industry things that I could move into but with my training <laughs> there, are, there are better PhDs that I could have done to actually move into industry jobs so 
I don't know. I just, I, th- I thought about that. And I think that's a really good way of thinking about the state of your own field is would you actually recommend your own kids to, 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 to go into academia? And for me, I'd say probably no, which is kind of weird for me to say, but that's, that's how it is. Mm. I would say something that amounts to me. I don't have fucking children. So this is advice I'd give my cat. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would say that if you begin with a conclusion in mind, if, if you know what it's supposed to do on the other side and you're working towards that the entire time, then it has a better than even chance of being a good, of being a good idea. Yeah? Okay. Some examples. Um, so are you talking about, are you talking about like an academic career proper? Uh, Yeah. Well, if, if that's, if that's the case, there are some very strong, look, regardless of whether or not they're fair or equitable or just or sane or sensible, there are some very strong predictors of what it means to be successful right but the thing is and this is why i said my answer amounts to basically the same thing as yours yeah because my bar for that of what you'd have to be able to get in order would be so fucking high <laughs> and it would it would require so much focus from uh someone who was thinking about like how, how they approach that question to begin with that i don't think it would i don't think it would do much good yeah because you have to be, you have to learn to think strategically over a period of years. Uh, like, which for someone in their late twenties, you say, "Oh, I would have made a series of completely different decisions." Well, if you teach them to make that, yeah, it's yeah. okay. The the most the the most the best planning, um, the best planning and the best kind of trajectory shit that I've seen people do through a PhD and then making the transition having people who are not going into academia. I've seen many, 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 many people now think. I'm doing a PhD, so I have a certain set of skills. And when I have a certain set of skills, I'm going to go and do this other thing in particular. And they're planning for that shit six to 12 months out before they graduate, and then they graduate, and then they go and do it. Now, that's quite possible now. I mean, and obviously, my experience squarely focused on uh, biology and engineering due to confluence of circumstances in my life. But there's plenty of fucking people who are maturely planning their exit from much better than people are planning their entry to. The entries, the, the go on. What? No. You yeah, talk. but there, there's 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 too many unknowns with with the entry into academia. That's the problem. Well, this is, this is this is this is where a theory of luck enters the equation, Daniel. Yeah. Have you ever read? James Austin's book called Chase, Chance, and Creativity. No. From the, from the 70s. Okay. It is a long, it is a long meandering weird book. Yeah. But the whole long meander is designed to set up the central thesis in terms of basically how chance works as something that is sprinkled through his career. Yeah? Yeah. 
it's it's really fucking interesting. Like uh, the the one the one thing that I think sticks with everyone who reads it is the story of Alexander Fleming discovering penicillin, right? Because it was it's it's a well known serendipitous observation, yes. But the thing was, without the and I'll, if I try and describe the conditions, I'm going to get them fucking wrong. But basically, he knew about molds. He he knew he knew about he knew about pathogens. He knew about all this all this shit that was surrounding the city. And and given everything else, he knew a fairly specific set of preconditions. He was able to be lucky. And when we say, "Oh, it requires a great deal of luck," I mean, a lot of the time when people say that, they're thinking about kind of like pure bare-assed fucking unpredictable chance, right? And I know this is going to be a viciously difficult thing to put theories on top of, but I think at the very least we can hopefully agree that there's more than one kind, yeah? So I'll give you an example. Like you go to a conference and you meet someone and they go, oh, you should come and work in my department. Ah. Yeah? Okay, so they said that, that's lucky. But if you've spent two years, if you say, well, this is this category of research that people are interested in, there's a certain amount of people, they don't have a certain sort of skills, I'm going to work on this for ages and ages and ages, then you have the conversation with this person and then they say, oh, you should come and work in the laboratory. Yeah? Or we're going to open up this, uh, we're going to open up this non-tangible line and then we'll see about getting you added to the thing, but we really want you there because you do the right thing. I mean, the fact that you met the person is obviously bare-assed circumstance. Yes. The fact that you're prepared to meet the person feels like another thing entirely. Now, obviously things like this run very deep in questions, uh, in questions of access and accessibility for everyone. Um, we can certainly say that a process like that isn't fair, but being able to exercise the agency that you have over how you respond to it is, I mean, it shouldn't be a mandatory expectation, you know? I'm not, you know, I'm not a uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps motherfucker by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think the vast majority of my life has been quite bootstrap free, all things being considered. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's more things, things, things can be done. And people I see who exercise agency to pursue stuff like this to a surprising amount of the time end up where they want to be. It's uh yeah, look, maybe 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 I would say no rather than go through just some enormous intellectual exercise of oh, all right, hypothetical child. What do you want to do in five years? Because I don't know the answer to the fucking question. I'd end up wanting things like preconditions for shit that had to happen after the first year or something like that, at which point in yeah. time, you know, this is like I'm not I'm not in charge of you. I saw which is uh, something I, I saw uh, the other day, Dan, which is very interesting. I mean, I've, I've seen the figures before, but it was, it was some fucking mad shit, like one in four people who were faculty had parents that were faculty. In the States? You know? Yeah. Okay. Um, or it was, it, there's, there's another one. It was, it, was, it was really ludicrous. Like people who have higher ed degrees are 25 times more likely to have a parent with a higher ed degree. Oof. Yeah, but that's that's very US centric. I think we spoke about this before that this idea of um, first generation academics, like we yeah. never heard this. I, I'd never heard of this yeah. before. 
it's not really a thing in Norway. It's not really a thing in no, Australia. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not a thing in Australia. It was just something that I is just something that I wanted to do. My parents were oh oh he's going to do that. We didn't do that. Well yeah he figured it out. And no one I I remember being very impressed. And so we had a master student uh, in our department, and he had uh, uh, a dad. His dad was a professor of something. And I always remember being very impressed. Like, how did you know all that? Yeah, well, yeah. You know, my dad told me, but that was one guy. <laughs> I didn't meet. I don't, I, I don't think. I don't think I met anyone during course who said, "Yeah, my, my parents are an academic." I, I, I went to school with a mate whose um, <laughs> whose mum actually ran statistics at Macquarie Uni um, and and wrote a few textbooks. But um, yeah, other than that, uh, it's a little a little bit more common in Norway. I've met a few people. Um, whose parents are in academia, who have also gone into academia as well. But um, yeah, nothing like this sort of one in four figure, which is just, that's just. Um, yeah, look, man. I may, I may, I may, I may have, <clears throat> excuse me, I may have got that wrong. Um, but uh, regardless of the actual number involved, um, I, I can quite honestly say it was higher than I expected and I found it shocking and unpleasant. All right, we're going to wrap up. That was that was our um our, our four topics for Mass, which I uh, hope you enjoyed. We'll be back again with a new Everything Hurts, your favorite niche podcast. <laughs> <laughs> your favorite deliberately amateurish, medium-sized, fucking scientific, half-gibberish podcast conducted by two sentient invertebrates. Two wankers with microphones. Yep. That's a one. Oh, that that needs to go on the. That needs to go on a fucking t-shirt. I think I think someone did a review roughly about that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That can that can go. That can go. We should actually do all the negative stuff and do one shirt. Speaking of which, we are working towards uh, a new t-shirt and mug design. Um, we're going to keep it under wraps for now. But um, James has got the um, a very a very good idea, which I, which I oh, quite like. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's it's beautiful. You're going to yeah. love it, and by love it, so, I mean maybe love it. No, I, I, I think there'll be demand for it. So, yeah, there'll be, there'll be some new mug and T-shirts designs. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again very soon with a new episode. Everything hurts. Mm-hmm.